One of the things I like to do occasionally is a biographical sermon. And uh, I like to do that, especially on Reformation Sunday, and uh, j- just to sort of celebrate the life of, of a, a Christian that happened between the Bible and us, and to think through what their life means for us today. I've realized that in my time in Northminster, I haven't really done this. Um, and so uh, this year I wanted to, to make sure and do that, and I wanted to tell you about Martin Luther. And I understand Martin Luther, you have to first understand the world that he lived in. He, Martin Luther was born into the Dark Ages, right? And he, he was a part of the transition into the Enlightenment, but, but really came out of the Dark Ages. And they were called the Dark Ages for a reason. They're, they're very dark. People died very young. Many children did not live. It's estimated that a quarter of all children died before the age of five. There was extreme poverty and very poor living conditions. And, and what was worse was the plague. And the plague had devastated Europe for about 200 years. And in the 4th century, 14th century, the plague killed an estimated 25 million people. Okay, well, what happened is the plague would show up in a town, so it would show up in certain houses, and nobody knew how the plague traveled. We, we know now it, it traveled with rodents. And so it was mice and rats that would bring it to a house, but they didn't know that at the time. It just seemed to like show up. It would show up in a town sometime. It would show up in a house sometime. And... Um, you know, sometimes three-quarters of a town would be wiped out by the plague. And some died while others didn't. And it seemed like it was kind of this curse. It was like this invisible thing they didn't understand. It seemed to either be random chance or maybe punishment from God. And so people got very scared. People got very superstitious. And the only hope, because you didn't have much hope in your life, your only hope was of the afterlife. And who has the keys to the afterlife? Well, the church does you got to remember, there's basically only one church. There's the Orthodox Church that has split off, but really there's one church at this time. Um, it's the Catholic Church, and the, the Catholic Church means, Catholic means universal, just because well, they were the only game in town. The universal, the one church. Um, and the church controlled a lot of the life. Um, uh, the kings and rulers had to be blessed by the church, by the Roman Pope. Uh, the church made marriages and births legal, and they were tied to the political structures of the day. They amassed great power and great wealth, and, and people were forced to, even in these poor conditions, tithe. And the government typically in, enforced the tithe, like a tax. It was into this crazy world that Martin Luther was born in Germany in 1483. His father Hans had risen to some wealth and sent Luther to good schools. He ended up studying law. He was such a good thinker that his friends called him the philosopher. And he was such a good drinker and enjoyed German beer so much that his friends called him the king of hops. One day, Luther went home for a visit and on his way back, got caught in a lightning storm. Lightning, in fact, hit the ground right next to where he was, knocked him off his horse. He was scared to death, huddled over in in a little ditch by the road, and he struck a bargain with God he said, if I live with her for this, I'm going to become a monk and God, and I'm going to serve you forever. Facing his own mortality, we've all said some, some pretty rash things. But Luther never wanted to do anything halfway. Took that vow seriously. He left law school and became an Augustinian monk. So he didn't just become a monk. This was one of the strictest orders of monks at the time. He cut his hair. He wore white robes ate very little or did very poor food, prayed seven times a day. In the Augustinian order, salvation was getting rid of the world and being cut off from it. Their goal was to imitate the sufferings of Christ. 
Through fasting, you would deprive yourself of food. They would even wound themselves. They would battle evil within themselves. And, and among all those very zealous Augustinians, Luther was probably the most zealous. In fact, Luther said, if ever a monk could get to heaven by his monkery, it was I. But for all Luther's work, he found no assurance of salvation. He felt like he could never please God, like he could never get to heaven. He felt as if he had traded one unforgiving father in his life for another. His doubts were complicated by the worldliness of the church at the time. So he looked around, and he's taking this vow of poverty. But in the meantime, Luther's, uh, the monastery had all these different trades. They traded in cloth. They had a brewery. They owned a number of properties in the town. They had business records. Okay, So the, here they are, and they took a vow of poverty. And yet the monastery has a ton of money. At one point, Luther gets sent to Rome on behalf of the monastery. He, he treats it like a great privilege. Like, okay, I'm finally going to figure this faith thing out. I'm finally going to figure it out and find some peace. But what he found was such wealth and extravagances. So many vices of women and drink. St. Peter's Basilica was being built at the time. Artists like Raphael were paid lots of money to try to, to, try to make this, the, this powerful center of Christendom. And instead of a holy place, what Luther found was a very earthly institution. And it only brought him down more. Drove him even more into his monkery, as he might say. So much so that he, he would later comment that uh, he probably would have ended up killing himself. He, he, he was so rough on himself from that point forward. He had a number of health concerns later in his life and he said, he said that he felt a lot of those came from back when he was a monk. He would confess sins four times a day sometimes for several hours, and yet he would get no release. He began to hate God. Then one of his superiors got this idea. He, he, he said, I know what we're going to do with Martin Luther. We've got to keep him busy. We're going to go send him to school. You've got to remember, at this time, um, this is right as the printing press is getting invented, and reading is just coming to power. Okay, most priests didn't have a Bible. Most priests couldn't read at all. And if they had a Bible, it was written in Latin. So if, even if you could read, it wasn't necessarily in a language you could read. So Luther goes to get academic training so that he could maybe teach others. They thought maybe this would keep him from focusing on his own troubles. And so Luther did that, and he became a doctor. Here I have a, uh, I don't know how well you're going to go see this in the window. I have a stuffed Martin Luther, my plush Martin Luther from my office. And uh, I always get excited when I get this out. Because I have the same doctoral hat as Martin Luther. See that? Um, so Martin Luther goes and becomes a doctor of the church. And, and, and what's amazing about that is then he's reading from Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. And he reads this. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Luther gets this radical idea that, that actually the way to God, the way to peace with God is, is through faith. Not through earning it, not through monkery, okay? not through beating yourself up. But it's this, this gift you can't earn. You just accept by faith. This is not the way the church was talking at the time. Although there were, there were hints of this. Luther is not the first person to come up with this. But, but Luther really does see this in a different kind of way. And, and Luther finally finds a peace 
but this peace will not be peace for the rest of the church. Right about the time that Luther is coming to these realizations, there's a new pope, Pope Leo X. And he had spent the church's treasury within a few years of becoming pope trying to work on St. Peter's Basilica. The artists and uh, architects had been uh, had created this huge cash cow, and they didn't have enough money to keep things going. And so one of the things that they started to do was the sale of indulgences. Now, I have an indulgence. And uh, this, is an, this is a 1922 indulgence I bought on eBay um, from the Most Holy Father um, to this family. And uh, it's actually a blessing. Um, this is a kind of a good thing to note that the Catholic Church of the 15th century is not the same as the Catholic Church today. A lot of these Reformation sermons end up becoming pretty anti-Catholic, and I don't think they need to be, because even the Catholic Church has changed a lot. So this is a blessing from the Most Holy Father in 1922. But actually, in Luther's time, these would actually be blessings that you could get um, from purgatory. And you could actually get your loved ones out of purgatory. There was this man named Tetzel who used to... uh, who came all through Germany selling these things, and he would present this thing, he'd come into town, present about the horrors of hell and purgatory, and then he, he would talk about how about the, a special blessing of the Pope, if you paid money, you could get one of these, and you could get out, you could get your loved ones. He would say, when a coin in the coffin rings, a soul from purgatory springs. Yeah, he would come out marketing these indulgences. Now Luther thought this was wrong. He saw salvation as a gift from God, right? How could you sell a gift? Okay, how, how could you do that? And, and for him, he looked at his people. He was a pastor. He looked at his people who had no money, who were going through all this, and he said, like, these people have nothing. What, why are we trying to get money from them to go do, uh, to, to be, build St. Peter's Basilica? Okay, they need the money here. So in response... Luther wrote 95 theses. Now, as a pastor, I've always got to be careful when I say that word uh, in public. Also, uh, what is a thesis? Well, a thesis, we don't use that word anymore. But um, a thesis is the plural of thesis. You've probably heard of a thesis. Okay? Thesis is kind of your statement of an argument. Okay? So what these were, there were 95 arguments <coughs> against the sale of indulgences. And they just said things like, like, we shouldn't be doing this. And the doctrine of purgatory is not really well developed. And one of the, one of the real, real, real tough ones was said, if the Pope can grant people freedom from purgatory, why doesn't he do that out of love instead of for money? Right? He had all these different arguments, 95 of them. And on All Saints Day, October 31st, 1517, 504 years ago, on this day, he nailed those 95 theses to the door of the church at Wittenberg where he served. It was very commonplace, actually, to, to nail things to the door. There were probably other things nailed to the door at the time. And what you would typically do is nail things there for academic argument. So then other, other scholars, other teachers in the, in the, in the college could, could argue against you. But, but here's what happened. Luther's 95 theses got took down. They, they took, somebody took them down. I took them to the local printing press. Okay, the printing press is brand new. Prince Bankin knew this thing of a printing press. And they were cropping up all over Europe very quickly because you could print things. They, they never had a This is a movable type printing press. So you can make lots of copies of a book quickly. Totally new invention, basically the internet of its day. 
And uh, so what, what they did was they took these 95 feces, they printed them, and they started spreading them out. And then they moved to the next town, and the next town printed them, and they moved to the next town. And pretty soon, most of Europe is reading the 95 feces, these arguments. And so Luther, in doing so, has also changed the criteria for debate. So no longer does he want to hear about the Pope's authority or the authority of councils. What does he want to hear? He wants to hear about scripture and reason. Tell me, tell me what the scripture says. Tell me what your logic says. That's what you've got to debate. And, and I'm sure he had no idea the, the firestorm that he was starting. But because of the printing press, it spread and it spread and it spread. And then suddenly all of Europe is talking about this. It gets all the way back to Rome. Now, as his work spread, he had to know that this was a, a scary proposition. Okay, Luther was going to, he had to know he was going to be branded as a heretic. Only a hundred years earlier, John Huss had questioned the church, had gotten promise of a safe hearing, uh, to, but only to be burned alive at the stake. What they would do is they would turn a person over to the, to the authority to be killed uh, without the shedding of blood, which typically meant drowning or burning. Or they could be excommunicated by the church. And what that would mean is you basically have outlaw status. In other words, if somebody killed you in the street, there would be no trial. You, the person could not be arrested. You were allowed to kill that person. Luther must have been scared as he got word from Rome to cut this out. But he did it anyway. He kept talking about it. He started writing about it. He found that actually this printing press was a pretty good tool. He started writing more and more stuff. Really, Martin Luther is the first propagandist. Okay? He used the printing press. He wrote in the German tongue. That was part of his key, too. A lot of people would write in Latin. A lot of the church's stuff came in Latin. But Martin Luther wrote German, which meant everybody could read it. It was for everybody. And so all of a sudden, people in towns that were now learning to read because of the printing press or getting somebody else to read something to them were starting to hear about these ideas. What do you mean that indulgences are bad? There's a pastor that thinks indulgences shouldn't happen that way. For those that cannot read, Luther writes, uh, draws humorous comics. Okay, you have to, sometime this week, you have to look up Luther comics. He, he drew some great comics. He's funny, he's witty, he has a sharp tongue. And, and he appeals not just to the church authorities, but really to the nobilities of the country and to the common people. And a lot of the, no, the nobles of Germany are tired of sending a lot of money to Rome that could be spent here, and so a lot of them get on board with it too. Luther is eventually called to a trial by the Roman Emperor Charles V. And, and these trials were, called, were part of the larger discussions. They were called diets, and it took place in the city of Worms or Worms. So it's called the Diet of Worms, which sounds terrible. Okay. Unless they're gummy worms, I don't want a diet of worms here. Okay, but but it was a it was a trial at the city of Worms. Luther thinks he's going to his death. He's showered by gifts from uh, people that, that really believe in what he's doing, and by the publishers who are making a lot of money at this point on uh, Luther's work. There were parties and celebrations as he went, even as he thinks he's going to his death. And uh, he stands strong at the Diet of Worms, saying this in his conclusion. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the popes or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the Scriptures I have quoted in my conscience, 
is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, since it is neither safe nor right to, do, to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. This idea that we should stand up against authority based on conscience and scripture, radical idea. This idea of conscience, this changed the world. Luther was not killed there at the Diet of Worms um, for fear of the crowds and for fear of his supporters. He is excommunicated and he's given that, that status as sort of an outlaw. And, uh, and uh, he is not allowed to be given food or shelter in Germany, is what they said. And as he leaves, uh, he thinks that he's, he, he's kidnapped. He goes in the middle of the night, he's kind of grabbed from this place and taken, and he thinks he's being kidnapped, when in fact they're actually his friends staging a fake kidnapping so that they don't get in trouble for disobeying what the Roman emperor said. Luther was put into hiding in a castle called Wartburg. Now in that castle, uh, Luther again experiences isolation, depression, and anguish. Feels like he's been defeated by the devil. He is physically sick. Um, and he got out of these feelings by the way he always had, which was to throw himself into his work. This time his work was to sit down and translate the Bible into German. He became convinced that if people were going to actually stand up for their beliefs, they had to read the Bible for themselves. Again, this is a radical, radical idea. Okay, That people ought to have the Bible in their own language. And so Luther worked to translate the New Testament into German. And this was a big deal, too, because Germany was not a country. There's no such thing as countries at this time. Okay, There's these kingdoms. Okay, There's no such thing as a nation state until we get the Enlightenment. So those are coming soon. And part of why they come is because, because this German Bible starts to bring a unity to the German people. So people had sort of regional dialects of German. What Luther's Bible does is sort of brings everybody's language together. People start to have a shared language. They start to have a, a, a shared heritage. Now, as he sits there in hiding with his Greek and his Hebrew and his Latin texts, this movement that he has started becomes kind of a revolution. Monks and nuns start to leave the church. Priests are getting married and living as common people. Um, uh, people would ransack churches destroying crucifixes and pictures of the saints some priests and nuns were even killed in this anger this, the, 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 um, the people started to realize that they, they felt abused by the church and so there was this revolution against it and in spring of 1522 Martin Luther actually returned to Wittenberg why? because he was not happy with the revolution <laughs> He, he realized he had set fire not to just to the church, but to all of society. And that's not what he wanted. He, he didn't actually even want to be separate from the church. He wanted to reform the church. That's what the Reformation was about, reforming the church. And he wanted to do that from inside, not from outside. He doesn't try to leave the church. He, he doesn't try to leave the Catholic church. He gets kicked out of the Catholic church. Um, and so he, he doesn't want all this. He, he doesn't want to see crucifixes thrown out, anything that could actually help people find God doesn't want to see property destroyed. doesn't want to see violence. That's not what he wants his ideas associated with. And so he would spend the rest of his life trying to work to build a church that, that is reformed, that is different, all the while trying to avoid being killed as a heretic. He did so many things that made a difference. He, he wrote numerous books, pamphlets, letters. He wrote a catechism. This was the first time, and this was a, a big move, 
in the Lutheran church's catechism still gets used today to, to teach children about the Bible. He gathered his movement around hymns that he would write, a lot of them based on old drinking tunes. He gathered around the Lutheran rose was the symbol that he sort of came up with. And you can see a picture of it in your bulletin. Um, there, there had been this Gothic uh, sort of trend to have uh, rose windows in the churches uh, uh, out of stained glass. But Luther made one that was a little more simple and had a lot of symbolism to it. Um, one of the hymns that he wrote was A Mighty Fortress is Our God, which is we're going to sing here uh, after this. Now, Luther was not perfect. He could have a very sharp tongue and uh, could be quite personal in his criticism. Actually, you should look this up later. There's an entire website dedicated to Luther insults. So you can look up insults that Luther said to other people. I'm not going to say them here, but uh, they're there. Um, Luther also wrote some things that were definitely in line with the anti-Semitism that could be found in Germany at that time. And, uh, of course, uh, that uh, would be a poor heritage uh, for the German people in coming centuries. Perhaps his best move was marrying Katharina von Bora, Katie Luther, as she was called. Um, she's actually worthy of his or her own biographical sermon at some point. She was a nun who believed in the Reformation and, and with several other nuns, escaped the monastery in uh, empty beer barrels. She ended up in Wittenberg, as a lot of people did. They didn't know where to go. Um, and, and so she ended up going to Wittenberg. Luther swore he would never marry. He even tried to set Katie up with another priest. Um, but Katie would not have it and ended up wooing Martin Luther. They had six children. And she would run the old monastery where Luther used to be a monk uh, as kind of a bed and breakfast in a hotel. And people would come from all over the world, the, all over Europe, to study with Martin Luther and to talk about the Reformation. And so they would stay up late into the night over, over beverages and food and have these, these conversations. They're called table talks. And some of these would later be published out of people's memories. But all that stress took a toll on Luther's body. He started with stomach problems and heart problems his whole life, uh, sores on his feet and his legs, and serious bouts of depression. In 1546, Luther got sick while traveling and then died in the middle of the night. Before his death, he prayed, I thank you that you gave your dear son, Jesus Christ, for me, in whom I believe, whom I have preached and confessed, loved and praised. Martin Luther changed the world. He was not the first or only to have many of these ideas, but, but you can't look at history and not see Martin Luther as a distinct spark that lit a fire. He gave us ideas like freedom of consciousness. He developed the German language and a German identity. He was the first printing and marketing guru. He changed the church. I started the Protestant church movement, which became all kinds of denominations. In fact, once we started protesting, and we just kind of keep protesting each other now, don't we? He pushed us forward with the idea that we should have the Bible in our own language. And uh, that inspiration would later move into England, where we would get the King James Version of the Bible. He taught children the Bible. He changed the church's view on marriage, on church structures, on hierarchy. When he died, this movement that had been a spark, that he had been the spark for, called the Reformation, was spreading like a wildfire. In Germany and Switzerland, it would become Lutheran and Baptist. In England, it would become Anglicans and later Methodists. A man named John Calvin would be working on his own principles of the Reformation in a place called Geneva. 
There, another man would study with him, a guy named John Knox, who would later go back to Scotland to form his own version of a Reformed church, later to be called Presbyterians. There are even some crazy Presbyterians that have their own rose windows. In some ways, we're in a new Reformation. COVID has been probably the closest thing we've ever seen in our lives to the plague. Um, The internet has been a lot like the printing press in changing the world and changing how information moves. And the idea of the Reformation isn't that we are reformed, but that we are always reforming. And I believe that what we do in, in my lifetime, I believe that what we're doing now is what people are going to be talking about in 500 years because we're going to set the stage for this next uh, 500 years of the church. We're in this crazy new reformation where the world is changing and the church is changing. So may we be inspired by Martin Luther. May we be inspired by the heroes of our faith. And may God never stop reforming us. Amen.